You're listening to Fun Shack. I'm Ross Butler, and today my guest is Patrick Sheehan, a founding partner at ETF Partners. Patrick began working in venture capital in the mid-1980s. He spent 21 years at 3i, where he founded its Silicon Valley office in 1999. He's also been chairman of Invest Europe's venture capital platform from 2007 to 2010. ETF Partners invests across Europe in innovative companies that contribute to a future that is both sustainable and prosperous. Patrick, welcome to FunShack. You set up ETF Partners in 2006, then called the Environmental Technologies Fund. And it's easy to forget, but that, you know, that was pre-financial crisis yep. and the world was nowhere near as obsessed with climate change then, you know, than, than it is now. It's, it must be strange that everyone's caught up with you. Uh, it's wonderful that people are much more conscious about sustainability now. It's great, actually. Um, you know, I'd like to think they haven't quite caught up, to be honest, but, but uh, I'm being picky. No, we, we but I'd, I'd been in venture capital over 20 years uh, in Europe, in Silicon Valley, back again, um, and, and wanted to do my own thing. And so, so actually, I and my colleagues sat down and thought, what, what's worthwhile, right? What gives us a sense of being useful? And, and the idea that we could show that venture capital had a role to play in solving really big problems was, was just very attractive back then. Um, and, you know, I think the only thing we got wrong was we were a decade too early. But, but I, I think that's by starting early and uh, suffering the, the pains that any entrepreneur does actually of, of battling along for a decade uh, has been good for us. And, and I think that's probably why now we, we really feel we have a, an authentic uh, leadership position, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. You were in Silicon Valley and had a successful venture capital career out there before you did any of this stuff. Yeah, well, actually, I, you know, if I'm really going to confess to everyone listening, I started in venture capital in 1985. <laughs> <laughs> but back then, it was a very different world. That was in the UK, sort of pre-venture capital, if you will. And then Silicon Valley, my time there was the dot-com era. So, so I've lived in a few different eras. And, and um, the world keeps surprising us, right? We're in a new one now. Yeah, I mean, so, so your thesis... While it, it was called the Environmental Technologies Fund, your investment thesis must have evolved fairly significantly in the last uh, 16, 14 years, 15. I'd love to say yes, but not really. <laughs> I think it was, the, the, I mean, in essence, it's unchanged in, in that actually, you know, I'm an optimist and optimists are the people who can make change happen, I tend to think. So I think it's important to be optimistic. And I, I really feel that technology can supply a lot of the answers to achieving sustainable prosperity. And venture capital can be really helpful in a range of those technologies. And so um, that belief is unchanged. That's that's what we do. And we're never gonna change what what that is. We're still investing across Europe. And what's changed is, is more subtle under the hood, actually, I'm happy to go into it, but it's around learning where we can apply venture capital uh, and, where, and where actually it's a bit harder. Because I think if we go back 15 years, we, we, we we saw the needs and so we wanted to apply venture capital and it, but it's you know you can't use a scalpel on every operation right <laughs> yeah well this is exactly what i wanted to talk to you about actually because we've got this global problem and uh, it's going to take a lot of solving where does venture capital fit in it, so i think it's really important but it brings it has constraints as well as benefits right so so venture capital allows people to take bigger risk and bigger opportunity but but actually we all typically all um, invest from 10-year fixed life funds. We, we need results 
in that time frame, we, we have uh, potentially large but still constrained capital. So it works on, on some sets of problems, whether it can be quite quickly very rapid growth. It works less well on a range of others, which are also important for the environment. So, um, you know, I don't think it works for nuclear fusion particularly well, though there are some venture backed startups in that area. That's, I think, massively important technology for 20 or 30 years time, perhaps. Right. So, so we deal in the, in the mid term, which I think is, you know, results in, in a few years to 10 years, but, but not more. And, and we have to find companies that can grow uh, pretty rapidly with relatively constrained capital, even in this venture capital environment. And so that, that's a subset which has focused us more and more on digital technologies. And by the way, we can invest outside that area, but, but the sweet spot for us becomes digital technologies that deliver sustainable benefits. Uh, and it's, so it's still pretty broad, but, but it's not everything, right? Out with the solar panel, solar arrays, and out with the wind farms, and in with smart digital technologies that help help us be more efficient? Well, well from our narrow perspective, yes. But um, when we started up 15 years ago, there was a boom in solar, by the way, just to give you an illustration. And I remember when we talked to our investors at the time, um, saying to them that there were then in 2006, seven, over 50 thin film photovoltaics companies, not just all photovoltaics, but just this one type. And, and there's really the market for, for one or two, right? And revenue growth rates of those companies was probably 70% per annum, but there was very little margin in it. So we said, well, we're probably never gonna do those, right? That's, that's uh, low margin. Um, it's, it's like the computer memory chip business used to be, right? It's all gonna go to China. And, and sadly it has. So we have to be very careful of the sectors we play in, right? That there's, there's enough <clears throat> real innovation and added value to sustain and create uh, durable businesses. So that really hasn't changed. Going back to what has and hasn't changed, actually Europe, when we started, was a great place to be. And um, it's just got better. Europe's really coming of age. And so we, we, our focus is Europe and we find some really, uh, really fabulous companies now. In what sense is it, has it got better, the repeat entrepreneurs and technologies being spun out, that kind of thing? Yeah, well, venture capital's matured over the past uh, 15 years. It's, it's become a much more global industry. Um, and, and so people know the roadmap now in a way that they didn't before. And, and you, people uh, are much more focused on high growth companies and how to create them and know what the game plan is. And so it's not just that there are more repeat entrepreneurs, there are people who have worked for successful entrepreneurs and there's a much bigger ecosystem. So overall, we just see um, better quality opportunities because there are people who are uh, uh, much more, you know, a greater number of people who are highly engaged. And, and, and what's really honestly refreshing, if, if I think back over, the, there's been a rapid change in the past 18 months around sustainability, right? Um, but but uh, it's, it's refreshing now that entrepreneurs have been selecting us in some of the recent investments we've made because of our brand values and our, our real values. And, and they've quizzed us um, not on the usual venture capital, blah, blah, but on the, you know, are you sincere? Because we, we want to deliver uh, positive impact and we want to make sure you're right behind us. And, um, and we are. And so they've selected us. And that's, 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 that's so refreshing, right? So 
having backing people where there's aligned values makes life so much more simple. Mm. Yeah, um, that's interesting because given that you aren't doing like large renewable projects, but you are investing in more digital companies, um, to some degree, I look at your portfolio and I think, well, that that could make sense regardless of uh, the climate change pressure. And so you could get uh, uh, an entrepreneur that has set up a business that you find attractive for, for a set of reasons and is set up for another set of reasons. But increasingly, it sounds like they are aligning. That, that's that's exactly right. So we're, we're not backing uncommercial companies. And you know, what I like to say is the need is the opportunity, actually. So there is great need, right? And that's why major industries are transforming at speed. And that's why there's opportunity for us, right? Our investors want to make as much money as possible, to be clear, right? No, no one cuts us any breaks on this. Um, we say to them, we want to, to do well and do good. It's not all. Um, so on, the entrepreneurs we back could be backed by anybody, but, but they do tend to like the fact that we have a common agenda, a common mission. Um, and I think that creates a better level of trust, really. Mm. So our, our competition is is quite diverse, you know, and there are it is some environmental funds, it is some mainstream funds sometimes. I find your your ETF's flavour of environmentalism very easy to swallow, because it's you you call it optimistic, and it is, um, but it's also I find very different to the um, kind of very pessimistic, end is nigh, uh, right. anti-humanistic anti-human view of um, environmental, envi the environment. And you're, you're effectively saying we, we, we have an efficiency problem. We just need to do more with what we've got or more with less. And, you know, that's human progress in a nutshell, really. Precisely. I mean, it's the story of civilization, really. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I, I think the challenge of climate change is critical. The challenge of more broadly of sustainable prosperity is critical but but good luck trying to convince someone we need a more sustainable planet therefore everyone should be poorer i mean i i would argue that that's just not practical right we'll spend so much time arguing about it it'll never happen and so the the, the way to make uh progress fastest is to use the system we have capitalism right there's many faults with it but it's there um, let's not spend a decade changing it, let's just use it and get on with it, um, and, and to aim for delivering prosperity because there's durable demand for it. Mm. Um, and it isn't incompatible, by and large, with, with living more sustainably. You know, progress mm. creates efficiency. Um, mm. And so uh, I'm sure there are flaws with this argument at the margin, by the way, and you know, it's not, it, innovation delivers unexpected things. So we're not always right, but but as a general theme, I think it's it's profoundly important to think that way, and and innovation yeah. is absolutely the key. Mm. Yeah, and I know that you don't you don't say sustainable growth; you're saying sustainable prosperity, which is a slightly yeah. different thing. Yes, because um, um, prosperity, I think, is a better word. When mm. people think of growth, they think of increasing consumption. I, I think actually, you know, you can have prosperity with decreasing consumption. You know, there's only so much I'm, you or I are going to eat in a meal, but we probably enjoy eating nicer meals, right? So it, it's the, we're, it's moving towards a better quality world rather than a higher volume world, if you will. So I've said that I like your view of environmentalism, but I guess the flip side to that is um, to what extent does 
that view and how venture capital um, solves climate change uh, really affects the bit the big problem. What, what's the scale of the solution that venture capital brings? Is it a tiny piece, or is it an important piece? Well, I, I, it's a really good question. It doesn't solve everything, <laughs> to be clear. Um, so how it it fits in as an important piece of the puzzle, though I think. So venture capital is not going to help with the rollout of solar. It's not going to help with with delivering renewables at mass scale. That's that's you know maybe big infrastructure funds will do that. It's a different type of money, but it's still and a lot of money. But where venture capital plays a role is improving the efficiency of all that. So this is it's not solving the problem in the next year or two at all, right? When next year or two is urgent, we need more renewables, I think. But it is solving the the problem of the next decade or two of making sure that we're as efficient and effective as possible over that time frame. Um, and and you know, look at the cost curves of things like solar and, and wind. Solar has probably fallen 90% in cost in the past 10 years. Wind has fallen more than 50% of cost in the, in the past 10 years. That's innovation and that's, um, and, and I think you can safely extrapolate that cost curve for another decade based on innovation. So it's really critical. The impact of that is not quite so linear either because once these, these technologies uh, become cost competitive or even cheaper, then they change other industries, right? And, and as you roll them out, the rate limiting step not be becomes not the cost of their deployment, it's the intelligence with which you can use them. So other technologies are required. And, and there, I think, in that, in that, in that wave of know-how to, to make efficient use of these new renewables uh, of the electric car industry and the consequential problems, you know, etc. There, I think venture capital has an enormous role to play and a lot of prior experience to draw on. Yeah, it's a classic venture capital conundrum. The, the world is being disrupted by a mega trend. What are the all, all the unexpected, con, in, unintended consequences around that that we can we can exploit? When people talk about this dramatic decline in the cost of solar and the learning curve and so on, it sounds amazing. Is it as amazing as it sounds, though? Because I mean, there are obviously the, the intermittency issues and so on. I kind of, whenever I hear it, I think, wow, the world's about to change dramatically and the energy companies are stuffed, but it doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, yeah. I, um, I, I think, well, I think we live in, in a world that's quite hard to forecast. Uh, I think you can forecast cost reduction curves, by the way. I think you, it's hard to forecast the consequences of them very easily. Mm -hmm. um, but but um, if I go back in time, you know, it, 10 years ago, if I tried to talk to the CEO of an energy company, I couldn't. Um, and then I, then I might more recently have talked to the marketing department who were claiming to do things on behalf of the energy company. And, and there was that, that sort of denial and obstructive, uh, constructive confusion. Um, but in the past year or two, I can talk to the CEOs of energy companies. And by the way, I can say to them, you're a bit stuffed, aren't you? And they broadly say yes. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, and so what's important is these are bright and smart people. They live on the same planet as us. I'm not getting at them. They are really engaged on how to solve the problem. And so they are beginning to innovate and, and do things. And so, I, you know, I, I'm not one of these people who thinks big, big companies are the problem and evil. 
I think mm. actually they are now um, beginning to change rapidly and, and will really be part of uh, part of the revolution. Um, and, and so I think we need to support them rather than just attack them. We live in a world where everyone wants to quantify everything, but it's very difficult to be able to quantify um, potential impact. Right. And, and so, so what I wanted to ask you was, what are the most promising areas where the kind of incremental change, the incremental improvement could make a difference? Um, but it's going to be a very subjective answer, I guess you're going to have to give. Yeah, and the best things tend to surprise us, of course. So, and, and I'm happy to answer that question. But but you, there's an implied uh, agreement in what you said that you know that, that actually the most impactful things are often the hardest to quantify, right? Because you can quantify the predictable, um, and the predictable is often less impactful, or at least you know how it's impactful. Um, one of the problems of funding innovation, certainly at a government and policy level, is it's really hard to quantify the benefits of the unknowns from innovation, right? And so that tends to be a stumbling block. So we are very focused on delivering innovation and impact. And we try to quantify, by the way, for each of our companies, but we don't get too hung up about it, right? Otherwise you fall into, let's do that because it's measurable, as opposed to let's do that because we think it's impactful. Right. Even before the pandemic, we, we had started to look um, very hard at the logistics sector because it's, it's uh, been quite it had been quite resistant to technology and, and actually quite a quite a polluting industry uh, depending on how you measure it um, and so we, we'd started to make one or two investments there uh, we made one before the pandemic sadly struggling we, we made one after that they've actually unsurprisingly now been doing very well and so so you know logistics and efficient distribution um, I think is, is a very important area for us Mobility, I guess, obviously remains uh, profoundly important because the whole car industry is changing rapidly and that, that has consequential impacts outside of its own industry into uh, many things, not uh, most obviously energy, but many other sectors as well. Um, we, we've looked and keep looking very hard at the, the what's called the energy transition. And again, this is a vast industry already changing rapidly and, and we're looking um very carefully at um very smart data companies i'm hesitant here because i don't really want to say ai because it's such a buzzword but i'll say it anyway because but but using intelligence to to make smarter better informed decisions mm -hmm. and um uh in this past year we, we we invested i'll give you an example in a, a company called deep sea that uses uh, genuine artificial intelligence to to improve the efficiency of the shipping industry. And, and that's a big polluter and, and enabling ships to operate at a measurably improved performance is, is very impactful. Now, it doesn't solve the problem that, that the shipping industry is polluting, but it, it's actually an incredibly efficient and quick way to, to improve the situation. So oh, that makes total sense, because obviously heavy transportation is one of the hardest things to to, to get off of oil, to replace oil, yeah. and so any improvement there. And, and particularly for us, we're looking at where, where can we use technology to, to create improvement. Um, and and we're, we're looking increasingly at, at um, sustainable foods these days and at the, the impact of the rise of the green consumer. You know, we're seeing very interesting companies popping up now. Um, not, not so long ago, we, we invested in a German um, 
neobank, a, a digital bank, like, you know, there's Monzo, Revolut, many others out there, and they've become very big very quickly. Um, and we found these guys in Germany who are really able, nice people who'd created a, a green equivalent of one of those. So tomorrow is is the green uh, Revolut, the green Monzo, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very happy with it. And uh, it's it's it appeals very strongly to in you know engaged people people who are engaged in sustainability uh, want personally to do something uh, with their money that that's helpful for uh, for climate change as opposed to potentially harmful and so and so we're we're finding different themes uh, not all of them obvious um, where we think there's big impact happening or about to happen I, let me try a, a little thesis I've, I've got, and, and it occurred to me when I was reading your website, I saw you did a deal called The Modern Milkman. Yeah. And it's been in the back of my mind for a while that one component to all of this is, is um, behavioural, obviously, and some of that behaviour just harks back to the past. Um, so I did a little bit of work with P&G, who are introducing reusable aluminium right. shampoo bottles, and they'll be rolled out across Europe this year. And... and uh, you know, you might say great innovation, or you might say, well, that's kind of 1950s. Sort of back to the future sort of uh, yeah. <laughs> um, theme. But, but no, the Modern Milkman is, is, is a really interesting company, actually, because if you're English, you immediately think of an old-fashioned uh, milk van and uh, whistling milkman walking around in the morning. Yeah. And that all died, right? And it died in the name of efficiency and supermarkets delivering milk in much cheaper plastic containers. But the, the, the founder of Modern Milkman, who, uh, Simon, is a very able entrepreneur, a very thoughtful guy. He told me he was inspired by, by David Attenborough's Blue Planet, actually, and decided that he really ought to do something now in his third startup that, to, to get rid of uh, waste and, and eventually focused on essential grocery deliveries as an area where it would be relatively easy to get rid of waste. So it is a little bit of a back to the future thing in that, in that the milk comes in glass bottles, there's no plastic, you know. There's no, there's no waste wrapping, um, and but though the front end may look delightfully traditional, the back end is is, is uh, you know, there's a lot of digital science, a lot of know-how. There's a lot of efficiency through micro distribution centres, and and so the jargon flips at the back end from old-fashioned to, to very very modern, mm. and and that company's doing extraordinarily well actually. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I wasn't being cynical by bringing it up. Yeah. at all it's, it's like no, no one wants to throw stuff away uh and 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 most people will even be put out a little bit i would say in order to just feel like they're not being unduly wasteful you don't have to be a greenie to, no, to I, and, and, and honestly when, when i tell people about it uh, they they nearly all say great does that deliver in my area right yeah <laughs> it's a really easy check um and but i i think one of the things we are seeing is this is sort of um efficient localism if you will uh, mm. and, and it's it's far more green to avoid transporting stuff around the planet um, and and frankly it's probably better quality produce if it's more local and more fresh yeah. AI so you were hesitant you were hesitant to mention it but it is very very hot yes um, to, to what degree can it um, can it create efficiencies that decrease simply put carbon emissions do you, would you say well, I'm hesitant, hesitant to mention it because it's overused, as many buzzwords get, and it's sort of, uh, from from some cynical perspective, it's just a good way to bump up valuation to start waving your hands and start talking about AI. And, and 
my second reason for cynicism is that the the underlying science has not evolved very fast, right? What has evolved is is the speed with which computers can crunch numbers, and so using well-established and if not old algorithms plus computing power, now you can deliver more. And so I I, I think um, you know I'd like to see more real innovation in in the algorithms actually, but but nonetheless, computing power has evolved in such a way that there's a far more applicability of these sledgehammers. Um, and they're very effective on certain classes of problems, right? So uh, shipping is actually a really good class of problem um, in that it, it, it's a bounded problem, as they say. It's not, it's not an open-ended question. You know, if you, if you wanted to use AI to find out about America, you know, forget it, right? It's, it's too vague a question. But if you want to use AI to optimize a set of parameters that you, you know about, and you know you can't have ridiculous parameters because it, it's, it's self-evident, then, then you've got a problem you can solve. So there, I think it's really good for certain categories of optimization problem or certain categories of drug selection problem, but it, it's not good for everything yet. And, and it will take a real intellectual revolution as well as a computing revolution, I think, before we get to the science fiction end of the spectrum. It's, it's, it's great for some things, but, but um, and, and we're really keen actually to see more uh, AI real world applications that can drive efficiency. So we're definitely on the lookout for those. Um, and, and I think we will see more by the way, because of course, compute power continues to increase, storage costs continue to go down. And so, so the applicability will rise for sure. But I think it's, it's, it's nibbling, you know, at the real world rather than taking it over. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I asked. That's, that's fascinating. And uh, slightly more prosaically, um, you invest across Europe, even though you're yep. based in London. Um, what's it, you know, Europe has a pretty good reputation as um, as being environmentally aware and has been for, for some time. But what's it like um, for entrepreneurial businesses doing business in Europe, perhaps uh, in terms of government incentives, doing business with government, doing business with cities, um, you know, uh, from, a, from a, let's say from a green perspective and then just from a business perspective? So uh, Europe is... is it's not one country, right? It's, oh, right. it's, it's complex <laughs> um, and diverse and culturally different, you know, all this. Um, but but uh, doing business with, with a sustainability agenda, I think is, is just a commercial advantage because there is more support, there is more goodwill. And uh, you specifically asked about governments and cities. Um, well, one of the uh, outcomes of the pandemic is that European governments are gearing up to deploy a lot of, in effect, reconstruction money into the economy with a view as to the type of economy they want, and they want a green economy in Europe. And so, so actually, we, we are expecting a lot of investment in and around uh, the green economy and the acceleration of, of sustainability. And that, that's, I think, going to be clearer and clearer as we go through this year. Um, and uh, you know the UK is hosting COP26 in November, I think, and and there will be announcements in the UK. But but actually the EU is is putting money forward. Denmark is putting money into its economy along along this agenda, etc. So I think governments will be a source of uh, capital, of potentially large scale of capital, but it'll move slowly and probably with a certain momentum rather than uh, you know what's the phrase these days? This is not a speedboat. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
cities you think should be faster, but but actually when we have companies that, that invest in smart or sell into cities looking to become smart and intelligent, and uh, it's not an easy market because procurement cycles are still long, right? They're still uh, somewhat political, et cetera. So there's great opportunity, but, but it's not easy. Um, but that said, if you're an entrepreneur thinking about or acting on sustainability, these are not the only benefits. It's, it's frankly much easier to recruit people. <laughs> if, yes. um, so we find our companies can, uh, by being genuinely uh, focused on sustainability, uh, recruit better people more easily and have greater staff loyalty and greater satisfaction. You know, and, and that then extends beyond staff into their ecosystem generally. So, so I think actually, um, in essence, being green is increasingly just good business. Hmm. Well, that's such an important point, because, I mean, pe people in the businesses that you back is the most important thing. So if you're getting better talent for less money or just better talent well, per well, se. Well, it's not for less money, I think. No, no, no. Sorry. Yeah, but, but, um, because you have to, you know, the, the deal is you have, you have to give people the best opportunity. You have to give them the greatest learning opportunity. But but it, but newer generations are find this much more appealing. And so it is easier to get better talent. To go back to, you mentioned COP22, and one of the criticisms of, of the, um, the state-led uh, targets, I guess, is that um, they can be seen as bad value for money. If you're going to spend so much money on something that you pretty much know is going to be pretty right. inefficient, surely you should channel a bit more into an area that's very, very kind of laser targeted on also making a return. Yeah, innovation delivers a huge bang for the buck, um, and, and governments could sensibly deploy more capital there um, but, uh, but but typically infrastructure projects get more capital because they're easier to quantify so yeah. if you, you know let's let's make it pertinent to the uk uh, you know only one of our geographies but but we're spending 50 or 70 billion i forget how much on, on a new train line uh, from london to to uh, birmingham manchester and you know maybe that's a good thing, but it's a hell of a lot of money. <laughs> mm. um, and uh, a small fraction of that would would have a profound impact on not just addressing climate change, but on the economic competitiveness of the entire country. So, so but it, it how would you rationalise that, quantify it? Well, that's a bit harder, right? So, so the the um, uncertainty and ephemeral nature of innovation means it's relatively underfunded i think patrick i wonder if you could leave me feeling really optimistic about the world because you know because <laughs> you know we're all inundated with climate change doom and gloom and you right. have an optimistic outlook you know when you're uh, when you're not in work mode and and not in necessarily etf mode but just patrick sheer mode how do you generally feel about um about progress on this score and and, and where we're headed I am uh, somewhat schizophrenic. I, overall, I'm optimistic um, because I, I think well, there's always a crisis, right? If you go through history, um, I used to argue with my fellow students when I was a student uh, about about the upcoming nuclear apocalypse, right? And and, uh, and at least half of them thought there would be one before we got to the age we are now. Um, and, and I was always on the on the optimistic end of the spectrum saying the trend of civilization is is positive and that there are bumps in the road 
if we apply ourselves, then we can do magical things. Mm. And, and you see that repeated through history. It, it, it does, I, I think bad news sells better, right? And, and it, it's easier to stoke fear than to stoke hope. But, but, but actually, there's been astonishing progress uh, in the quality of living around the world in our lifetime, right? The, 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 there's a billion fewer Chinese people in poverty, life expectancy's gone up, uh, health's gone up, education's gone up. The, the internet has profoundly changed the, the way which we can collaborate. And by the way, you see the power of collaboration in the speed we can now deliver uh, vaccines. And, and people said it was impossible to do, deliver a vaccine in, in the 18 months or less, it's been, it's been less. Um, and so actually, I, I think there's a lot to go at. And if we, if we worry too much, you know, we'd like to fall off the tightrope, <laughs> but yeah. there is no choice now. You know, if we want to sustain a good standard of living for the, what, what is it, seven or eight billion people on the planet, we have to go forward and we, we have to be creative and we, we have to be optimistic. Within that, I think we have to plan rationally, right? And, and it, it, on the concerns, say that long-term planning, uh, long-term funding of innovation and technology being one sub, sub set of that, I think is really important and there's probably not enough of that. And so, so uh, I'm a little bit schizophrenic, but largely optimistic. <laughs> no, you are. I, I asked you to leave me optimistic and you've done exactly that. I'm really <laughs> glad I asked the question. Patrick, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and sparing your time. No, lovely to see you. You've been listening to the Fund Shack podcast. Make sure you subscribe and visit our website at fund-shack.com for many more video interviews. It's the private capital channel for alternative investment professionals. Thanks for listening.